What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow me on my main platform being Twitter at Deep Dive FF, Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, YouTube at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, even TikTok at Deep Dive FF. And as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com. With that being said, let's get into the content. What's up, divers? Welcome into another episode of Deep Dive Fantasy Football. Today, we're going over the Seattle Seahawks. Now, I did push out my projection of the Seattle Seahawks before the projection of the Vikings on my social media accounts. And I know the Vikings episode came out first. Honestly... I had done the Vikings, and I was like ready to record right when I did them, so everything was super fresh in my mind, so instead of going back over notes and stuff like that, I just turned on the mic. Now, I'm going into the Seattle Seahawks, and obviously, you guys know how we start. By now, we start with the offensive line, and similar to some of the teams we've projected so far this year, actually, there's not been too much change on the offensive line for the Seattle Seahawks. Now, they've added some like super deep shot guys that maybe might make the team better, but I'm not really going to project something like that. So overall, we're looking at the offensive line being pretty similar. The skill positions. Obviously, we have two massive changes. They added wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba in the first round, who we most of us view pretty unanimously, not entirely unanimous, but pretty unanimously as the best wide receiver of the rookies in the draft. Now, not necessarily for fantasy this year. But in the draft class, JSN, Jackson Smith and Jigba, was looked at as the best, and they added him pretty late. We all thought he was going to go earlier in the draft. They were probably ecstatic that he fell that far. And then they replaced Rashad Penny, who they lost, with running back Zach Charbonnet in the second round. And, ooh, that was a blow to all of us, because a lot of us really like Charbonnet. I told you he's kind of like a DeMarco Murray. That's like my comp for him just maybe with a little bit less receiving chops as of right now. And now he's got to share a backfield with Kenneth Walker, which we're going to get into. Then we've got, on the defensive side of the ball, we've got them adding cornerback, who I love, Devon Witherspoon at five overall. Some people might think that was a little bit high, a little bit of a reach, but I don't think so. I think he's really good. He's going to just make that secondary probably one of the best in the league for them given the impactful rookies and other guys that they have there from last year. They also added a defensive end in the second round, Derek Hall, who should help their defensive line a little bit. There was also a lot of other movement on the D-line, but I expected about evens out. And then on this coaching, we're looking at pretty much the same. They did lose Shane Steichen, so we'll, you know, it remains to be seen how that's going to impact their offense. But other than that, coaching is the same and Pete Carroll for the most part is the one who makes a lot of the decisions there so yes Shane Steichen definitely helped Geno Smith and we'll see if Geno Smith is able to continue that or if he's going to take a step back without Steichen there's a lot of interesting directions that we can look at this team and and take things so we're going to talk those all through and I'm going to tell you why I came to the conclusion I came to so first let's look at their overall plays last year they had 998 plays last year that was 11th worst that might catch you off guard because Seattle had a good offense and Geno Smith was looking really good and they were producing points for fantasy Kenneth Walker was a stud Lockett, DK they were doing good as well Geno was good so it might catch you off guard but a lot of their points were funneled into those players specifically however and they they were pretty good at in the touchdown category but 
for a total plays, they didn't really have that much. They didn't even reach a thousand. That's in the like NFC South bucket of like the Falcons and the Panthers who were under a thousand. So it's not great. I do think that that's going to go up. And there's a few reasons I believe that. But first, let's look at their pass run rate from last year. And that was 57% of the time they passed the ball, 43% of the time they ran the ball. Now, their defense got a little bit better. They added Devon Witherspoon, added Derek Hall. A lot of their impactful rookies are going to go into their second year, might get a little bit better as well, but we know they're probably not going to get worse from their rookie year, hopefully. Um, so their defense is probably getting a little bit better. They added another high, high pick at running back. Now, yes, JSN, a wide receiver, which would make you think, hey, they're going to pass the ball more, was also added even higher than that. But I think that the way that Pete Carroll's mind works is he's just a he's a tough no like hard nose football run the ball down people's throats kind of guy and he looks at his team whereas we've seen kind of this shift in the NFL recently where some teams like the Chiefs for example they establish the run by establishing the pass so they're like hey we want to open up the run game let's establish the pass first because that's going to make the defense back up and it's going to make it easier for easier for us to run Pete Carroll's more old-fashioned than that he's established the run it's going to open up the pass it makes sense especially with a guy like Geno Smith because he's not a Patrick Mahomes he's not a Justin Herbert right so if you open things up for him then that's going to give him a lot more possibilities it's going to make it a lot easier for him to succeed as one of these non-top quarterback top elite guys is by creating a fear in the defense of the running game first and it opens up a lot of things through play action so I'm thinking that that's probably what he's trying to get back to um, not that there's anything wrong with what they did last year, but I do think that he very much prefers run-first mentality. Now, despite all of that, I only have them running a slight bit more. I have them running, instead of 43% of the time, 44% of the time. Why? It's because of that addition of Jackson Smith and Jigba. That's the biggest reason. Because when you're when you're thinking about it, like, they have three of the better wide receivers. They might have the best trio. I'm trying to run through my head really quickly. They might have the best trio of wide receivers in the NFL outside of possibly, I would say, the only ones that would give them a run for their money if Jackson Smith and Jigba ends up being as good as we think would be the Bengals with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and then maybe the Bucks. It depends on how much you like Russell Gage and if you still think Mike Evans is going to be as good as he has been still. Because then you've got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Russell Gage. But it's up there. It's definitely up there with like the trios in the NFL at wide receiver. So it's it's going to be hard for him to completely commit to the run. And also another, another angle to look at is, okay, did he draft Charbonnet because he doesn't think Ken Walker can handle the load? Is it because he thinks... He needs to insulate from injury because of his past history with Rashad Penny always being hurt. And then Ken Walker in his rookie season last year was hurt. So is it just that? Is it more of an insurance policy with a, at a position of importance for the Seahawks? Because when the Seahawks have been good, they've always had a good running back. So they probably look at that position a little bit differently than other teams, especially when they don't have an elite quarterback. They're probably like, hey, we, we need to be elite at something else, so let it be running back, and that's a position of importance for us, so we're going to invest and continue to invest in that, make sure that one injury is not going to derail our season. Because let's be honest, if Kenneth Walker, if Charbonnet wasn't there, if Kenneth Walker got hurt, the Seattle Seahawks season would be over. So it's possible that he's just looking at, hey, I need to insulate from injury. Or there's the other angle that, hey, 
Ken Walker, he's an explosive guy, but he doesn't do all the little things that we want. He doesn't see the best lane and just take it right away. He dances a little too much, or he bounces it outside a little too much, or he doesn't always get that extra yard or two that we want. Charbonnet is going to be a compliment to that because Charbonnet is going to do those things. He's going to take the hole. He's going to push the pile forward. He's going to get the extra couple yards. He's not going to break off crazy explosive runs like Kenneth Walker does. So maybe they're just trying to find a compliment. Maybe that's all it is. Maybe they're trying to find that guy to punch it in the end zone. So there's a lot of different reasons for drafting Charbonnet. And because of all of those different possibilities, it makes it extremely hard to project Charbonnet versus Walker. Who's going to do what? Yeah, you know, you could say, oh, Charbonnet's the bigger guy, so he'll probably be the goal linebacker. Okay, that's one piece of a eight-piece puzzle. So what about the rest? Who's getting the receptions? Who's getting the pass blocking? Who's getting in between the 20s? Are they coming in and out on the same drive? Are they switching drives? Is Walker just the starter until something happens and until they get in the red zone? Is Charbonnet just going to be somebody who poaches? Or is Charbonnet actually going to have his own role? There's so many different things that we have to try to project here. So it's it's very interesting. It's a fun but also annoying team in the same way to project because of all these reasons. So like I said, 57% of the pass or 57% of the time they passed last year. This year I'm projecting 56. So just a run heavy team a little bit more. Now they're still passing more than they're running, but I just think that they're going to run a little bit more. I'm increasing their plays from 998 last year, which was the 11th worst, to 1018. Their defense is going to get better. They're probably going to be a little bit more efficient. So I think they're going to be staying. Their offense is going to stay on the field a little bit better. Or even when it's not not necessarily staying on the field better, they're also going to have more plays over the same distance. So what I mean by that is, hey, if they're running the ball a little bit more and they're getting more out of the the runs, because think about it, if Ken Walker is a boom boom bust type of runner, which he was, he absolutely was, if you look at it. If he's a boom-bust type runner, and he has two bust runs in a row, and it's now instead of you know first and seven, and then second and four, or I'm sorry, uh, second and seven, and third and four from two like okay decent runs. If he's got some bust runs in there, it goes from first and ten to second and ten to third and nine or third and eleven, and then now you're passing the ball and getting off the field. That just took away a whole bunch of potential for you to have plays there because of something like that. Now, when you have Charbonnet, who's, you know, if if Walker continues to be that way, if he continues to be boom bust, and they're like, hey, you know what, we want some more consistency, let's throw Charbonnet in there sometimes. And Charbonnet is able to to grind that down to second and seven, third and four. Oh, now they get a completion. Now the drive's still going. Stuff like that. Then all of a sudden, Charbonnet might not be averaging more than Kenneth Walker because he doesn't have those big plays, but he might be a lot more clutch and a lot more important to the team because every stat needs context. And so, especially if he ends up getting used at the goal line. So Charbonnet to me is actually, if I'm going to draft one of the two, it's probably going to be Charbonnet um, because I just think he's he's going to be cheaper. I mean, there's no way he's not cheaper because Kenneth Walker was already so good last year and everybody saw it in the NFL. So he's going to go higher. Charbonnet for me He's less likely. Now, it's always tricky with injuries, and I might bite myself in the butt by saying this, but he's probably less likely, just because of his build, to get injured than Kenneth Walker. Now, a lot of doctors might be, you know, the the MDs, the fantasy MDs, they might be like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Maybe I don't. But I'm just saying, if if I had to place a bet on who was to get injured, 
which is not anything you would ever bet on, but I'm just painting a picture here. I would obviously put my, my bet on Kenneth Walker. Now, hopefully nobody gets injured, and hopefully they have a great season. Um, but I, I like the discounted price for Charbonnet for what could be very similar production, if not more. That's that's the difference to me. So with that said, we're going to actually get into the projections itself now after talking through some of the, the situations in the running back room. Obviously, we'll get to the wide receiver room and all that stuff as well. But we're going to start with Geno Smith. So he's got 570 passes to work with for me because if they're having 1,018 plays and on offense and they're passing 56% of the time, that's going to be 570 passes for Geno Smith. First, let's knock out the rushing. He is actually a pretty decent rusher. Not crazy in touchdowns, but he's pretty good with yardage. So I got 65 carries for 350 rushing yards and one touchdown. Pretty you know, I don't I don't look too much into the carries and like go too crazy on like rushing totals for quarterbacks that don't predominantly rush. Like for guys like Hertz, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, guys like that, it's a lot more important and I take a lot more time to project their rushing stuff because I, I do a lot more research for it. But for guys that don't run that much, it's it's not really gonna be a big sway in projection. So I kind of just stay, you know, even keel and stuff like that. So Geno Smith, to me, about the same as usual. 350 rushing yards, one touchdown. Now, with Jackson Smith and Jigba, and I'll probably just start saying JSN, with JSN and a better run game, people are probably going to want to give Geno, and you might want to give Geno big efficiency bumps. Oh my gosh, he's got another wide receiver. The run game is going to be better. Like, naturally, I would be in my process. Naturally, this would cause increases. However, I give a warning. I'm going to warn everyone that when a really good season happens, it's hard to improve much, even if the environment improves. So obviously, Geno Smith's environment has improved, but it's going to be hard for him to get better than he was last year. Last year, he was already so good. Last year was Geno's perfect storm. The league has not seen him in forever, so he basically has like a rookie effect, right? Where, oh, we don't we don't know what to expect when we're playing against Geno. Or it might even be even better than the rookie effect, because the last time the league saw him, he was awful. So it's not even like, hey, we don't know what to expect. Let's just prepare the best we can. It's, hey, Geno's probably, you know, not somebody we need to be scared of. So we're going to focus our whole game plan on the run game. And then, holy crap, Geno Smith is torching us. So that's actually probably another advantage that he had last year in his perfect storm. And he also had a good run game, and he had good receivers, decent blocking. So it, it was really just great for Geno, and I don't think it's really realistic to say it's going to get much better. So that said, I do have him with a very, very minor increase, but not anything close to what my increases would usually be with the addition of a first-round wide receiver, a second-round running back, and a better defense. Usually that's going to cause things to go up a lot more for me. However, yards per attempt for Geno Smith last year was 7.5. I have it going to 7.6. So it's it just I think he was near his ceiling last year. I really do. He had a 69.8% completion percentage. I'm going to drop that down a bit. I'm going to drop that down to 68%. But I think he's going to be throwing balls with a higher depth of target. So he's going to throw the ball on average further downfield. He's going to have more yards per completion. So I'm moving his yards per completion up from 10.7 to 11.2 just because he's got Jackson Smith and Jigba in there, better weapons, and better run game. I think he is going to, on a per-completion basis, have more yardage. However, his completion's percentage is probably going to go down because they're probably going to try and push it 
push the ball a little bit more than last year. And also defenses are going to play him a little bit smarter, a little bit tighter this year as well. So that's 7.6 yards per attempt for Geno Smith. So that's good. It's above average for the NFL, so I'm still projecting a very good year for him. Last year, he had a 5.2% touchdown rate. I'm dropping because I'm dropping that because that's crazy. Now, I'm not dropping it by much. I'm putting it at 4.9%. But remember, NFL average touchdown rates for quarterbacks about 4.1, 4.2. Now, Geno Smith, I got him at 4.9. So still, once again, everything I'm projecting for Geno is above the NFL average quarterback. It's just we can't get too crazy because if we start giving him all these increases everywhere because of the additions, then he's all of a sudden you're going to look and, oh my goodness, Geno Smith is projected as like the second best quarterback in the NFL, which is not, obviously nobody believes that. So with all that said, with all those numbers that I just gave you, for Geno Smith, it's 4,341 yards and 28 passing touchdowns. That's 19.2 points per game. That's a later QB1 and elite QB2. So if you're playing in a two-quarterback league, if you get Geno Smith as your quarterback too, you are balling, absolutely balling. And if you're you're kicking and punting, you know the the quarterback position, and you grab like a Geno Smith and a Kirk Cousins, who we just talked about, you're still sitting very pretty because you've got two borderline QB QB ones, like you know from quarterback like eight to twelve, you got two of them in Geno Smith and Kirk Cousins, and they're going to be very good. So I I like Geno Smith. He will be on my teams in fantasy football. If I am playing in any like super flex redraft leagues, if I'm in regular redraft leagues, and for some reason I, I'm unable to get one of the quarterbacks, like a let's say, you know, a Jalen Hurts or something like that, which honestly, looking at how drafts are going, I probably won't be getting one of those guys because they're going really high. I'll probably stick more with like getting a Geno or a Kirk Cousins and pairing him with an Anthony Richardson or somebody like that that runs a lot with huge upside and then settling for Geno, who would be very good. If my rookie or sleeper pick doesn't hit, that's fine with me. So that's probably how I'm going to be looking at Geno Smith as a draft prospect for fantasy drafts. Then DK Metcalf, last year, 24.5% of the targets. That's going to go down in my eyes with Jackson Smith and Jigba. Well, Brandon, last podcast, when you talked about the Vikings, you said Justin Jefferson's an elite wide receiver, and his target share is not going to go down from the addition of Jordan Addison. Two differences. One, DK Metcalf is a very good wide receiver. He is not an elite wide receiver. That's number one. Number two, Jackson Smith and Jigba is better than Jordan Addison. So that's the gap between DK Metcalf and Jordan uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba is very close. The gap between Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison is not close at all. So that is the main reason why I do think JSN is going to hurt him. Not a crazy amount. Okay, most of JSN's production will replace the tight end and hurt Lockett more than it will Metcalf. But overall, I do think he's going to bring down everybody's targets a little bit. So DK Metcalf, for me, his targets are going to go from 24.5% down to 22.5%. That team is probably going to funnel all their targets to their three wide receivers. And when you look at teams that do that, usually they're three wide receivers. Bucks, Bengals, right? Usually they're three wide receiver. Actually, sorry, not the Bucks, because uh, the Bucks like to use their running backs more. But the Bengals, who I have obviously projected, just like every other team. But I, I specifically remember, even though it's been two years, when I would project the Bengals and they were funneling their targets to three guys, they were at like 66, 67 percent of the targets 
to those three specific wide receivers and sometimes as high as 70 percent so when you have teams that funnel targets that way two three wide receivers you can have three guys with 20 just over 20 percent target shares and i think that's what we're going to be very close to approaching with the seattle seahawks noah fant is not a beast tight end they don't have a beast tight end kenneth walker is a okay receiving running back charbonnet is not going to be much better than that so if they don't have an elite receiving running back they don't have a great tight end and they've got three really good receivers it would make sense for them to kind of change over to this three wide receiver type of like bulk target share offense and three wide receiver sets a lot and a lot less tight ends so i think seattle coming close to that is going to have dk metcalf at 22 and a half percent of the targets i think they're going to have Lockett at 20 uh sorry he had 21 and a half percent of the targets last year Lockett did i think he's going to be about 18 percent so close to that 20 percent mark and i think jsn is probably going to be around a 16%. So overall, if you're adding them all together, I've got their three receivers at 58% of their targets. And like I said, when teams go to that three funnel wide receiver, they're usually in that like 66, 67, 68%, maybe sometimes as much as 70. But that's only if they got like elite, elite guys like Higgins and Jamar Chase, right? It's not that good in Seattle, and they do like to run the ball a lot. So For me, I'm keeping it a little bit safer, a little bit safer, keeping 58% of the targets to their three guys. And so going back to DK, he's obviously going to be the number one. I'm projecting him that way. Now, maybe JSN takes over towards the end of the year and becomes the number one in targets. That doesn't necessarily mean he'll be the number one for fantasy because he's going to be doing a lot less per target than DK Metcalf would be because DK Metcalf is obviously a big play threat. He's huge. He's fast. He goes down the sideline a lot. You can't catch him. He's just a beast. So I'm projecting DK Metcalf to have a, a higher yards per reception, similar catch rate. So last year, his catch rate was 63.8. I got it at 63 this year. I think he's going to be running a little bit deeper. They're going to do less closer to the line of scrimmage things with him now that they have JSN in tow. His yards per reception were 11.6 last year. I have that going all the way up to... Well, oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. So last year and in 2021, that, that was the holdup. The, the way I wrote that note down was kind of weird. So in 2020, DK Metcalf had 11.6 yards per reception. In 2021, he had 12.9 yards per reception. In 2018 and 2019, so his first two years, he was in the 15s. He was at 15.5 and 15.7 yards per reception. I think with him being almost exclusively outside now, not going into the slot ever with JSN and Lockett, coverage not being able to double him as much or bracket him as often because he's got a a very good supporting cast around him, an even better supporting cast now. I think his efficiency is going to go back up to the first two years when Lockett was just the the alpha on the team before DK took over completely and now with him being on the outside his targets are going to be deeper down the field so I have him going all the way back up to that 15.5 mark at yards per reception like he used to be his touchdowns are probably going to open up too in 2019 and 2020 he had 10 to 12 he only had six touchdowns last year so I'm giving him eight touchdowns because that's a safe number it's a pretty solid number and he definitely has potential to do more than that I mean 
He had more than eight touchdowns three, two of the last three years, and it was 10 and 12. So he could definitely do more than that. I'm giving him eight just because JSN is another threat that they're going to be throwing touchdowns to. So it's probably going to hurt his ceiling at touchdown in the touchdown category. But overall, DK Metcalf, for me, he's a high-end wide receiver two. High-end wide receiver two. I have him for 128 targets, 81 receptions, 1,252 receiving yards, and eight touchdowns. Like I said, that's 15 points per game, high-end wide receiver two. And I'll just tell you real quick something I did with DK in a dynasty league. So I got invited into this dynasty league to take over a team. And taking over the team, I kind of wanted to make it my own, right? So I started flipping a bunch of guys. DK was on the team. I flipped DK in this team, which I'm trying to mold into a much younger team. I've been selling guys, getting a lot of draft capital. I've got like five, four, four first rounders in the next two years and like six second rounders in the next two years. So doing really well with picks and I still got a lot of studs on the team that are young as well. Well, DK was one of the most recent guys I shipped off and I shipped him off. He's 25 years old for 23 or 24 year old Jerry Judy and a second round. Was it a second round pick? Yeah, it was. It was a 2025 second round pick, I believe. So I traded off DK Metcalf, went to Jerry Judy, and got a second round pick um, on the side. And personally, I think that DK Metcalf and Jerry Judy are going to be very close to each other. DK might outproduce him this year, maybe. Like, it's going to be close. Because if we believe in Sean Payton, Jerry Judy is going to be better than he is viewed as right now. He's still super young, super young. And he's been getting better and better every year with his yards per target. And Jerry Judy is looking like what we thought he was going to look like when he was coming out of college. Now, when he's not being completely destroyed by injuries and recovering and getting better just in general. So I made that trade. That was a trade that I really liked. Just wanted to give you guys some insight on basically how I'm thinking about DK. Because if you actually look at his stats, his best year to date, I think is like 1,300 receiving yards. He's been in the league for four years. He's never been hidden on the depth chart. He's good, but I don't think he's an alpha. I really don't. He has the body of an alpha. He has the physique, the kind of, you know, um, essence of an alpha. Like, you look at him and you're like, dude, that's alpha wide receiver. But in terms of his production, he's not. And Jerry Judy, I think, may not be either. He you know, he may never get to that alpha status, but I think he has just as much potential to do so as a, you know, possession type of alpha that's a very good route runner, always open, kind of like a Keenan Allen-esque type of alpha wide receiver, and put up numbers like that. So that's why I made that trade, and I got a second rounder, second rounder out of it. I also drafted Jackson Smith and Jigba this year at 103 in that league, so it was a non-super flex so I, I got JSN, and I didn't want to have two Seahawks receivers, so it worked out perfectly for me. So now I've got JSN and Jerry Judy. With that said, now we're going to Tyler Lockett, and then JSN and the running backs. The running backs is going to be the, uh, the least confident thing I uh, have on this projection sheet. So going into Lockett, he's going to lose more targets than DK. He's going to get bumped out of the slot a lot by JSN. So when I was doing research on Lockett, I was looking, how often is he in the slot? So... It's kind of weird because when you look at different things, some things say, oh, like, for example, player profiler. And, I mean, I could reach out to this guy. He usually responds to me, um, the guy who runs the the website player profiler. 
Um, we talk in DMs and stuff sometimes, so I could probably ask him. But I don't know how player po- profiler got to their like slot percentage that they give to wide receivers because on their website it says that Tyler Lockett was not in the slot even 50% of the time. It's like 30 or 40% of the time he was in the slot. But then when I look at his actual snap breakdowns, it shows from like RotoWire and other places that break down like the actual snaps themselves, it shows that he was in the slot for 61% of the time. And just thinking about the team, I feel like that's probably more accurate. I wish I was a Seattle fan because then I could just tell you right away like which one of those numbers was accurate between the, the conflicting websites. But I'm pretty sure that Lockett was in the slot a lot. So I'm going to go with the fact that knowing he was in the slot a lot, seeing him in the slot when I was watching Seattle a decent amount of the time, he's going to get a hit in his targets from JSN taking over the slot role. So he had 21.5% of his targets last year. I'm projecting about 18% this year. I have DK Metcalf losing 2% of his targets. I have Lockett losing 3.5% of his targets to JSN. JSN, the rest of the targets he's taking is from the third wide receiver role plus some from the tight end. He had a 71.8% completion or catch rate. I'm bringing it down to 68%. He had a 12.3 yards per reception. I'm bringing it up to 12.7. So catching a little less often for a higher clip. So pretty much same efficiency for Lockett, just a little bit more down the field. He had 8.8 last year yards per target. I'm bringing it to yard uh, to 8.6 this year. He should be able to get deep more, but his age is also creeping up. He's 31 years old. So I think that's going to kind of prevent him from being more efficient than last year because usually the addition of a guy like this is going to help the efficiency of the receivers around him. But I think the age... Creeping up on Lockett is going to kind of counteract the addition of JSN. So he's going to be similar in efficiency. His role is just going to be different. So just know that with Lockett, the drop could be coming. And now they have no reason to force him into a role because they have his replacement. Now, not replacement in style, but replacement in like, you know, being the number two wide receiver. So they're not going to force anything that Tyler Lockett is doing because he's got capable people behind him now. So that's some risk. He's got some risk that he's carrying all of a sudden. His touchdowns have been pretty consistent, but he's probably going to lose his slot touchdowns. I'm projecting him for seven touchdowns for a total projection of 103 targets, 70 receptions, 886 yards, and seven touchdowns. He's a flexible wide receiver. I have him at 11.8 points per game. Now, Jackson Smith and Jigba, he's still my number one dynasty dynasty rookie wide receiver. Now, for redraft purposes, I have Addison above him because the availability of targets for Addison is going to be much, much better. And the Vikings just, it's not even in terms of target percentage of the team that Addison would be getting versus JSN, but also the fact that the Vikings throw the ball way more than Seattle does. So that's why I have Addison in redraft higher. But for Dynasty, JSN, I'm sticking with the process of evaluations and not over-inflating first-year impact or over-inflating team situation. And Jackson Smith and Juba is going to be my number one dynasty rookie wide receiver, or he already is. And I think he's going to get about a 16% target share. Tight end last year had 24% of the targets as a position from the Seahawks. Okay, I'm giving 9% of that 24 from the tight end position and giving it to Jackson Smith and Jigba. Then the third wide receiver targets at 7%, that maths up to 16% of the targets. Now, 
he could be pulling, like I said, from DK, from Laquette. So I've kind of got a room for error here built in with this receiving core. And the room for error comes in how they're going to utilize tight end. Because if they still want to utilize tight end, JSN's going to pull a little bit from DK and Laquette. But if they want JSN to just be that third wide receiver and funnel targets to three wide receivers, and he's going to pull it from the tight ends. Luckily, we're not drafting the tight ends anyways. So the wide receivers just have a little bit of room to outperform my projection for the Seattle, for the Seattle Seahawks. Um, obviously, you know, if somebody hits their ceiling, they're always going to outperform a projection. But I'm just saying just their median projection could improve if they use the three wide receiver type of formula a little bit more than what I have them projected for at the moment. So I think that when I look at JSN, I see the type of wide receiver that's going to be very efficient. His catch rate's going to be very good, but he's going to be close to the line of scrimmage a lot. He's not going to be going crazy with his yards per reception. And I think he's going to have a similar rookie season to Amon Ross St. Brown, efficiency-wise, because I see that 75% catch rate, that 11.3, that, you know, the 10.5 to 11.5 range of yards per reception. I have him at 11.3. And I, I do that because... He's going to have a higher yards per reception than, let's say, for example, what Amon Ross St. Brown had as a rookie because he's got better weapons around him than Amon Ross St. Brown had. Because if you look at St. Brown, he had who? TJ Hawkinson? Like DJ Chark? That's not getting it done. That's not DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. So I see a similar season to St. Brown for JSN except just higher efficiency in the yards per route run because he's going to have more space to work with then that's going to bring him to 68 receptions off 91 targets, 773 receiving yards, and five receiving touchdowns. That's 10.3 points per game in his rookie season. He's a low-end, low-end flex wide receiver. He will have some blow-up games, I'm sure. I'm sure he will, but he's not going to just take over right away. No matter how much you like him, I I don't think he's going to take over right away. He's not that much of a freak. Then we've got the running backs, and the running backs is the biggest issue, the biggest thing that we struggle with. So if Kenneth Walker and Rashad Penny were healthy all season last year, they would have had a strict two-back system. But there was 17 games left on the table between the two of them. Like, together, they missed a whole season. (laughs) The two of them missed a whole season. And despite that, there was only 50 carries to other running backs. Despite the fact that Kenneth Walker and Rashad Penny, who together should have 32 games accounted for, only had 17 games accounted for, there was only 50 carries to other running backs on the roster. That will not be the case when healthy this year with Walker and Charbonnet. With Walker and Charbonnet both healthy, I think I'm projecting right now Walker to be the between the 20 guy because you want that explosiveness. But I think once they get into the red zone and stuff, that explosiveness is not nearly as important it's not going to have as great of an impact and they're going to be more worried about finishing that drive and i think that's when they bring in charbonnet i think he's going to be their third and short their goal line and they're you know if they're backed into their end zone their own end zone they're probably going to use charbonnet to to get some breathing room because they don't want kenneth walker to get a safety for them because he dances a little too much or is a little bit less decisive than sharps so i'm going to start calling charbonnet sharps just for short and I don't know, I feel like it's kind of a cool nickname. Whereas Sharbs at the goal line and Sharbs in backed up in his end zone is you know what you're going to get. He's going to find the gap quickly, efficiently, and push forward. So you're not going to get, you know, 
that possibility of that 50-yard run unless there's just a huge gap in the defense and, and they just miss something completely or a, a linebacker misses a tackle, whereas you know you're getting the safe yards, which in those situations is what's more important. So I think that their roles are going to be very different. However, I think overall when you just look at their stats, they're going to be very similar. Receptions is the thing that's hard to tell, the hardest thing for me. Because Walker was good with the receptions, but they're saying that they think Sharbs looks pretty good at it too. We didn't really see him in college get many opportunities, similar to Kenneth Walker, who didn't get many opportunities in college to catch the ball either. So I, I'm kind of just drawing like a 50-50 line, like a tie basically there for them, and also in the carry category, because I don't know how the work's going to get spread. This is all just projections. And you can even look at the beat writers. Sometimes when I'm trying to figure out something for my projections, I'm like, hey, let me see what the people who cover this team only, who are in the building and hear from everybody that works in the facilities, let me see what they're saying. And I look at all the beat writers, they have no idea. They have no idea how the running backs are going to be used. So I'm not going to act like I have an idea because that's just being arrogant. Pete Carroll's questions, or his quotes, I mean, sorry. Pete Carroll's quotes are not reliable. So we can't look at his his stuff. We don't have stuff from beat writers. We don't have historical evidence of Pete Carroll having like a, you know, two running backs healthy at the same time that are both studs and how he uses them. So we really have nothing to go off of. So I'm basically splitting everything even, almost like a harmonious 50-50 timeshare. I have Walker and Sharbs, their carries at 55-45. So I have Walker at 55% of the running back carries, Charbonnet at 45%. I'm giving them the same amount of touchdowns, the same amount of targets. There was 11 rushing touchdowns last year. There's definitely going to be more because I expect a decrease in passing touchdowns. I think they're going to run more uh, efficiently in the red zone. I think they're going to be more likely to run the ball now that they have a more reliable runner in the red zone with Charbonnet. So I have them at 17 rushing touchdowns, up from 11 last year. I think they. I'm, I'm giving eight for each of them. I'm giving eight to Walker, eight to Charbonnet, one of them to Geno Smith. For Kenneth Walker, he had 4.8 yards per carry, or he had 4.6 yards per carry last year. I'm giving him 4.8 because the receivers are a little bit deadlier, might give him a little bit more room to work with. I've got him at 29 targets, 21 receptions, 150 receiving yards, one touchdown, and then 210 carries, 1,008 rushing yards, and eight rushing touchdowns. So remember, for Kenneth Walker, I'm projecting 4.8 yards per carry. That's 11.2 points per game overall for Kenneth Walker. He's not somebody I'm too excited to draft. Now, Charbonnet, I have at 10.2 points per game, so one point per game less than Walker, but I'm excited to draft him because he's going at a way cheaper cost, and he's probably going to get similar work. I have his yards per carry much higher than Walker's. I have him at 5.3 yards per carry because he doesn't dance. He doesn't question things. He takes what the line gives, and he pushes. I've also got him at eight touchdowns. Now, I will say, there's a possibility that Charbonnet, however, I don't think it's the case because of how big he is, but that if they use him in the red zone and in the goal line a lot more than Walker, that his yards per carry is just in the tank, like I, w- like I was talking about like in the very beginning of the podcast, and Walker just looks a lot better on paper, but then you take the context and say, oh, well, obviously Charbonnet's yards per carry are going to be low if every time he's getting the ball, he's in the red zone already, and everything's a lot tighter for the defense, or he's at the, you know, at the goal line. However, he is so big and so strong, I think he's going to be like Derrick Henry in terms of not to that degree, but very close to it in terms of, hey, you know that we're going to run it, and he's still going to run all over you. I think that's kind of how 
his mentality is and, and what it's going to look like. So for me, I'm I'm personally like, I don't understand why you would draft Walker over, you know, the people in his range of fantasy drafts. I would just grab a receiver there or a different running back and then come back and get Sharps later. Also, a good guy to, to compare to these two running backs is David Montgomery. David Montgomery, I have projected very similarly, and you can get him later than these guys for very similar production. He doesn't have the ceiling or the potential that Charbonnet has, but he is probably going to have very similar production if something doesn't happen injury-wise to Kenneth Walker. So for me, I'm taking Charbonnet, yes, but I'm also taking Monty kind of in that same range, maybe a little bit later. It just depends on the flow of the draft and what I think is, is going to happen, but I'm not really touching Walker. Overall, the projections for the Seattle Seahawks. Geno Smith, 4,340 passing yards, 28 passing touchdowns. DK Metcalf, 81 receptions, 1,250 yards, 8 touchdowns. Tyler Lockett, 70 receptions, 886 yards, 7 touchdowns. JSN, 68 receptions, 773 yards, 5 touchdowns. Kenneth Walker combining for just under 1,200 yards. Zach Charbonnet combining for just over 1,000 yards, so pretty close to each other. Eight touchdowns each. Well, actually, Kenneth Walker has nine touchdowns because I got him one in the receiving game. With that said, that is the Seattle Seahawks. Hope you guys enjoyed it. There's a lot of different ways this team can go. It's going to be very interesting, very fun watch in the NFL, something I'm, I'm excited to see how wrong or right my projections are on this team because of all the different variables. Thank you guys for tuning in. Drop a rating, drop a review, share with a friend. You know the, the deal. I'd really appreciate it. Peace.